if you will, our subject this morning, the praise of Zacharias. Are you praising the Lord today? If you're not, there's something wrong. You ought to be because of the fact that the Lord is worthy to be praised and we certainly ought to praise him all the time for the blessings that he gives us day by day. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 57, down through verse 64, and then verses 67 through 80. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had had mercy, or how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake, and praised God. Now verse 67. And his father Zacharias, and blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the dayspring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Shall we pray together? Our Father, this morning we thank thee for this time together, and we thank thee, Lord, for every one that you've brought this way, and we thank thee again for thy mercy and thy goodness to us. And as we look into thy word this morning, we ask thee that thou wilt show us these great truths that are set forth for us there in thy blessed book, them to us. And Lord, we ask that every one of us that know thee today might be might have the same privilege that Zacharias had, and that is to be able to praise thee and be filled with the Holy Ghost. O oh, our God, work it out for thy glory, and for these in our midst that don't know thee, we pray that thou wilt finger on their heart and show them, Lord, that thou art their all-sufficiency, and that through thee comes eternal salvation and nowhere else. Be pleased to save someone in our midst this morning, strengthen and edify thy people, and Lord, be with the sick and afflicted, and above everything else, Lord, get glory to thyself in this service. We ask it for thy sake. Amen. Our subject this morning, the praise of Zacharias. Now, in this message, we have several things for us to learn and to profit from. And my hope is that this will be a blessing to you as it was to me as I was able to dig it out of the Word of God this morning or this past week. I hadn't seen it before. So every message I'm bringing to you is some new truth that the Lord has shown to me. It's really not new. It's been there all the time. But the difference is this. We haven't seen it before. And so when we do, it ought to bless our hearts and it ought to make us to be filled and filled again with praise from the Lord God of heaven. Our lesson falls into these three simple categories. First of all, we're going to look at the provocation of praise. 
Then secondly, we're going to look at the prophecy of Zacharias with regard to the nation of Israel, prophecy of Zacharias, God's method or plan of redemption. You see, as I've said before, the Lord Jesus Christ is the main person of the Bible. Redemption is the main theme of it. And God is so interested in having us to know what his redemption is that he puts it practically even more than once on almost every page of the Word of God. It's a joy when you see these things, and it's a joy when the Lord brings these out. And so I want you to notice with me this morning uh, these three things. First of all, let's look at the provocation of praise. Now, the provocation, what brought it about? Well, it's Luke chapter 1, if you will. Look at verses 57, and particularly down to verse 61 through 63. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. Note it. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake, and praised God. Now here you have the provocation of the praise for Zacharias. Now what did Zacharias do? He began to praise the Lord because of the birth of his son. Now someone might say, well, is that a mighty occasion? It is. Because you see, the Lord God of heaven told Zacharias that John would be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mouth. And that meant that John was going to be a special individual with regard to the cause of God. And I'm going to tell you this. It blessed Zacharias then, even though he did You say, what are you talking about? Well, Zacharias did not believe what God said to him. And as a result, this is what the Lord did. The Lord punished him. He shut him up for nine months, and he made him both deaf and dumb. Well, now, in Pudu time, Elizabeth's full time was come, the Scripture says, and she brought forth her son. That man, it was a nine-month baby. And then when they came to circumcise him after eight days, now, hold your seat, now, I want you to notice something here. They didn't ask that little boy if he wanted to be circumcised. They automatically did it. And you parents here today, some of you here are making the biggest mistakes you can ever make in your life, in your life, I should say, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to make those children satisfied when you ask them to do something. You don't pull out that foolishness. When God gave you that baby, the same way he did with John the Baptist, when God gave that baby to Zacharias and Elizabeth, what did they do? Eight days they circumcised that baby. Now why? Because eight days after eight days, the platelets that help clot are at the highest peak with regard to an individual. I don't know whether you knew that or not, but that's a physical reality. They were commanded by God under law to bring their children and to have them circumcised. Now, you and I today as parents are commanded by God to raise our children in the fear and of the Lord, and that means that you've got to exercise your authority over them, and you've got to show them that you are their soft. Cry and carry on. All right, you apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. Now, how come, preacher? Because today we have too much of Dr. Spock in our churches. And Dr. Spock is the one that has ruined the raising of children in America by telling us that you need to let the children express themselves. Now, the psychologists come along and they say, oh, if you don't let the children express themselves, you inhibit them. If you let them express themselves, you raise them up to be an incorrigible devil. Now, which one do you want? You're not going to inhibit an individual. 
I was raised by my parents, and there were nine kids. And my dad ruled the roost. And are you listening? It certainly hasn't inhibited me. If you think it has, I'll tell you right now, you're just as wrong as you can be. Now, now you follow what the Word of God teaches you. And you obey, you, you do that. You correct your children when it's needed. You teach them the reverence that has to be given to them and has to be taught to them in this church. This is not a playhouse. This is the house of God. We're gathered here to serve the Lord. We're gathered here to worship Him. We're gathered here to listen to Him speak. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's much more important for you to listen to what I'm speaking than it is to listen during this hour to what your children are trying to tell you. Now, we're to the wisest fisher. And my, my, everybody that comes here know. I know they say, well, I'm kind of a dictator. Well, call me a dictator if you will. But I happen to be a benevolent one. I happen to have respect for the house of God. And I don't want my boys and girls or young youth. Now, if I'm stepping on your toes, so be it. Zacharias and his wife took their boy to be circumcised. Now, hold your seat. They didn't use anesthetic in those days. They didn't have any to speak of. But they circumcised him. And then they were going to call him by his name John, by, by his name Zacharias. But his mother spoke up and said, no way, his name shall be called John. Now, how did she know that his name was to be called John? Zacharias had to come home and write on a pad of paper and tell her what the angel said to him, because from the time that he disbelieved what God said, God struck him deaf and dumb. She said very clearly, his name shall be called John. And so this is what they said. Well, how come? You have nobody in your family by that name. And so then we came to the father, and we find that he made signs, or they made signs to him, and then by these signs, he asked for a pad of paper, and we find he wrote on that pad of paper, his name is John, and the moment he did, God opened his mouth, he unstopped his ears, and Zechariah began to praise the Lord. Now this is a provocation of praise. Now how does that apply to us? Well, I'm going to ask you a question today. Do you know what it means to stand before God, deaf and dumb? And unable to believe? If you've ever been under Holy Spirit conviction, you do. If you've never been under Holy Spirit conviction, you don't know what I'm talking about. But before God saves you, he makes you before him a dumb sinner. You say, dumb? Yes, you can't hear unless God opens your heart. He makes you stand before him a sinner that's dumb because you can't talk. He makes you stand before him a deaf sinner because you can't hear, and then he makes you stand before him, as it were, under silence of God. Now you say, preacher, wait a minute. No, Zacharias, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Zacharias being in the same category that we're in, we find that when God struck him both deaf and dumb during those nine months, I'm sure Zacharias did the same thing that we would have done. Lord, would you have mercy on me and open my understanding? And then what happened? In the, day of, in the day of John the Baptist's birth, they came and said to Zacharias and asked him what his name should be. And he said, his name was John, 
and then suddenly and absolutely and mysteriously and positively and indelibly we find that God did what? He opened the mouth of Zacharias, unloosed his tongue, unstopped his deaf ears, and Zechariah began to praise the Lord. Now the same thing happens when God saves you. You praise the Lord for his salvation. If you don't, then you don't have any. Because you can't help but praise the Lord for your salvation. And what do you have here? You have here the provocation of praise, and that was the birth of Zacharias' son. And then we find also Zacharias praised the Lord because what did God do? God blessed him, and he did what? He loosed him from the calamity that God had set upon him, and he lifted up his heart in praise unto God. And look again, if you will, at verse 67. And this is what it says. Zacharias with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Now there's the provocation to praise. Now, believer, today, I just ask you this morning, is there a praise in your heart this morning to God? If there isn't, why not? What has he done for you? Well, I can tell you what he's done for you. First of all, he loosed you from the calamity that you were under. And what was that calamity? The calamity of sin and judgment. Because, you see, every individual is born under this calamity at this present hour. The individual is born under sin, and the individual is born in sin and under sin, and he's born under judgment. And God has to loose us from that. And when he does, if he doesn't put a praise in your heart, then there's something wrong. Now, that's the first aspect of our lesson. Now, the second aspect is this. In the praise of Zacharias, we find two things that stand out for our learning, and they are these two things. First of all, there is the prophecy of Zacharias concerning the nation of Israel. Now, hold your seat. Remember, Zacharias is a Jew. And always remember very clearly that God has a special, a special delight in the nation of Israel, and that has never changed. Now, you say, wait a minute. No, the Jews are still... God's chosen people don't fall for this line that's being propagated today, and that is this, that God has given all the blessings to the church and God has put all the curses on Israel. He has. The Lord God of heaven has set the nation of Israel aside for the time being that he might build his church, which is composed of both Jews and Gentiles. But our Lord has done that. You have the prophecy of Zacharias concerning Israel, and I'll give you just three simple things, and this is what they are. First of all, he predicted the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where in the world do you find that? In Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 70, or 68 through 70, we read, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. All right, now here you have it. You see, God's plan for the nation of Israel was this, that God was going to raise up the Lord Jesus Christ from the household of David. Not from Saul, not from Isaiah, not from Jeremiah, but it came from the household of David. Now turn to, to go, go back, if you will, turn your page back in your Bible and look with me at Luke chapter 1. And look again at verse 35, or I should say verse 33. Notice, 
Here you have the prophecy of the angel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, Zechariah reiterated that. In Luke chapter 1, we find again, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. All right, now here's the prophecy of Zacharias. What did he do? First of all, he predicted the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which necessitated, hold your seat now, a personal visit from God. The second thing about it was this. The person that was involved was the household of David. Now, the prophets had been teaching that to the Israelites, have just either ignored it or forgotten it. And it's true. And yet we find God hasn't changed whatever, and we find here that in the prophecy of Zacharias, he predicted the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he also told us it would be a personal visit from God. The second thing about his prophecy was this. He prophesied of Israel's redemption. Now, where in the world do you find that? In Luke chapter 1, verses 68 down through verse 73, we read these words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Now, notice that we, Israel, should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, be being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And we'll stop right here. Now, here you have the prophecy of Zechariah. And what is it? He prophesied of Israel's redemption. All right. Now, preacher, it was a salvation from their enemy. Now, what are you talking about? Well, first of all, it was a gracious salvation because Israel didn't deserve it. Secondly, we find it was a common salvation because it involved the people of Israel. And thirdly, we find it was a complete salvation because we read very clearly that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us. Now, Israel looked at that in a twofold manner. Some of them looked at it spiritually, as we will in a few moments. But some of them also looked at it this hour. Now, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it's a salvation from their enemies, and then I want you to notice... Uh, now, what in the world are we talking about? Well, go back to Genesis chapter 18, if you will, for just a moment. In Genesis chapter 18, and we find it set forth for our learning. In Genesis chapter 18 and verses 1 through 8, we find the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now follow it closely and listen to what it says. And Abram was 90 years old and 9, or Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 17, not 18. In Genesis chapter 17, Abram was 90 years old and 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be the father of many nations. 
Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for the father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now look at verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now that hasn't changed. You say, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Well, the Abrahamic covenant has two aspects to it. Abraham has a spiritual seed. You and I that are saved here today are the children of Abraham. But now hold your seat. The Israelites also claim the children to be the children of Abraham. Now God has not promised us the land of Canaan. He promised it to the nation of Israel. And Zacharias knew this. And Zacharias was prophesying and praising the Lord for this reality because Zacharias knew that the Lord God of heaven was going to come and he knew very clearly that what God said he would do, he would do. Now that filled his heart with praise. All right, now let's go back to Luke chapter 1 again for a moment. And I want you to notice. In Luke chapter 1, he prophesied salvation from their enemies. Then he also promised prophesy in 72 to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Are you listening? That hasn't been fulfilled yet. Now, what are you talking about? Now, hold your seat and pay close attention. Right now, and I say it reverently, Israel is out of its place. You say, what are you talking about? Israel should be inhabiting and possessing all the land that God promised her, and that's the land of Canaan. It reaches from the southernmost part, which is the river of Egypt, a dry river bottom there in the Sinai Peninsula, and it reaches to the Euphrates, and it extends from the Mediterranean Sea, to the Persian Gulf. Israel doesn't have that yet. She is going to get it. And Zacharias was praising the Lord because Zacharias was looking beyond what he saw immediately. He saw it immediately or primarily, and he saw it prophetically that what it would happen as God did it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that hasn't taken place, but it will. It was revealed in Zacharias' praise, and then also the reality of it is still to come. Now, you say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Well, take your Bibles now. Go back to the Old Testament for a moment and look with me at the book of Micah. The book of Micah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. If you know your books of the Old Testament, understand the kids are learning them downstairs, all right? I hope you'll be able to say them all. You find Jonah, and then you find Micah. Now in Micah chapter 4, and we find verses 1 through 4, you have here, this is a reality. Now look at it. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all, and people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and say, 
Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Are you listening? That hasn't happened yet. But that's going to happen. Now, don't try to spiritualize this word of God literally until the word of God tells you not to. And when you follow that rule, you'll find out you'll understand the Bible a whole lot better. There are a lot of people today that they just literally, I should say, symbolize and allegorize the word of God from one end to the other. Now, when God said that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to sit upon the kingdom of David, he meant the kingdom of David. It isn't the kingdom of David isn't found in heaven. The kingdom of David will be found on this earth in the city of Jerusalem. And you better understand it. Now, this prophecy hasn't come to pass yet, but put it down, it will, because you see, it's all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is Zacharias' prophecy. Now, I haven't told you anything new, but I'm going to tell you this. We found it in his prophecy. And so, Zacharias was made to praise the Lord, and he did praise him, and we find all the people around that area that heard him praise the Lord, they were filled with fear, and they began to cry and say, what kind of a son does this man have? Well, it was a supernatural work of God. Now, let's go a little bit further. We can take Zacharias' prophecy literally, and now we can also take Zacharias' prophecy spiritually. And it'll apply to us, as well as to the nation of Israel. Now you say, preacher, what were you talking about? In, uh, in Luke chapter 1, look again, if you will, verse 67, we read these words. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Now, let's just take that apart. Now, you say, preacher, what were you talking about? Well, we find, first of all, here's God's plan of redemption. Now, listen carefully. It necessitated these five simple things. Now, what are they? First of all, there had to be a personal visit from God. Now, when did our Lord make a personal visit from the Lord or from God? Well, when he came to the nation of Israel and he came to this, this word. We'll discuss more of that next week. Tom, Virgin Mary, he was. Was it a supernatural act of God? It was. Was it a personal visit from the Lord God of heaven? It was. All right, now somebody might say, well, now, preacher, wait a minute. That's all right. That's general. Let's make it personal. Hasn't God made a personal visit to you? What are you talking about? Well, for you and I to be saved, I'll tell you right now, God had to make a personal visit to us. Now, how does he do it? Well, take your Bibles, if you will. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 2, I should say. And listen to what it says, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. And here you have God's personal visit came to you. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. All right, now what do you have here? If God hasn't made a personal visit to you, my friend, then I'm going to put it down. You've never been converted. There has to be a personal visit made to you by the Lord God of heaven. Now, hold your seat. This is known as Holy Spirit conviction. And Holy Spirit conviction today is unknown, it's unwanted, it's unpreached, it's unexperienced only by a few. And if the Holy Spirit of God has ever visited you, you are one of those privileged few, and it ought to make you praise the Lord all the time. Now, this is a prophecy of Zacharias. God's plan of redemption is set forth in his prophecy. We find it necessitated a personal visit from God, all right? The second thing is this. The purpose of it is to redeem us. Again, go back to Luke chapter 1, and look for me, if you will, and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now there you have God's plan of redemption. You say, Pastor, what were you talking about? Well, why did the Lord God of heaven, why did he visit Israel? The purpose to do what? Redeem them. Why does the Holy Spirit of God visit a sinner today? The purpose is what? To tease them? No. The purpose is to make them miserable? No. The purpose is to redeem them. Now, in, his, in the redemption of God, he first of all shows the individual who he is, and that's what makes the individual miserable. Before that time, we live, as it were, with a blinder over our eyes and a blinder over our hearts. We don't know what it is. We don't know what we are before God until God visits us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he does, he does, the, he does it for the purpose of redeeming us. Well, now, preacher, what were you talking about? Well, look at it, if you will. What, do we, what does redemption consist of? Well, in this portion of the Word of God, we find that Zacharias said to save us from our enemies and from them that hate us. Now, you folks here tonight, or today, I should say, that are unsaved, I'm going to tell you something. You better wake up and recognize this, that the devil doesn't like you. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? You're of your father, the devil, I know you are. And the devil's not going to give you up. But you see, what you have today in the physical realm, just like that little poor nine-year-old girl over there in Deckerville who was beaten and chained and everything like that, are you listening? That's a physical picture of a spiritual truth because that's the way every sinner is until God redeems them. She lived in a urine-infested uh, mattress. She had her hands tied behind her back. She was chained. That poor little kid couldn't do anything but cry. And I'll tell you this, it's a picture of a sinner without Christ because all that sinner can do is cry and hope for mercy that it might be bestowed upon him. And she didn't know if it would ever come, and neither does that sinner until the Holy Spirit opens his eyes and redeems him by the blood of Christ. Are you still listening? 
This is what it is. Where God came, the purpose came to do what? To redeem us. To save us from our enemies and from them that hate us. All right, now what does he do? Again, Luke chapter 1. Look with me, if you will. And we find in verse 74 that he would grant unto us that we be de being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Now, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Well, he's going to deliver us out of the hand of our enemies. Are they? Well, the greatest enemy you have is sin. And are you listening? The key letter in the word sin is I. And keep in mind, and today the Lord God of heaven has come to do what? To deliver you by the remission of our sins. He said right here, and that word remit means to put away, means to deliver from, means to take off. And what did our Lord do with our sin? I'll tell you what he did. He obliterated it. Like I taught in my Sunday school lesson, I said, all right, in the old days, when they, before they had ledgers and everything like that, they would have a book similar to this, only it would be made of wax. And in the wax person's name would be written in wax right here, and right down the line would be the list of their debts that they would owe. And sin is a debt. And so in order for that debt to be obliterated, they would have to take another candle, and this is what they would do. They would put the flame of that candle, and it would go all through this page, and per first thing you know, that page would be absolutely white clean. And the only thing we left here was person's name. That's exactly what God does with us when he saves us. I'm going to ask you a question. Doesn't that fill your heart with praise? Your sin has been done away with? He delivered us from the, by the remission of our sins, and it means to send away and to forgive, and it also means to deliver from. And then he saves us from our enemies and from them that hate us. And as I mentioned before, the devil doesn't like you. He's an awful hard taskmaster. He'll put you, he'll cause you to do this, and, and you'll do it because you'll follow his leadership. And I was talking with my secretary this past week, and I said, I don't understand how these kids today can go for that rock and roll junk. Well, the more we discussed it, the more we found out this. This rock and roll junk that they listen to, and that beat particularly, you know what it does? It appeals to their baser nature. Now, let us soak in. You ever listen to any of this stuff? I can't stand it myself. I'll turn it off. But I've listened to enough of it to know that some of the words that are used there are filth. It's nothing but filth. And what does it do? It appeals to the baser nature of the individual so that it appeals to their total depravity. And so they thrive on it. All right, now when our Lord saves us, what does he do? He saves us from our enemies that hate us. He delivers us by the remission of our sin. And then go back, if you will, to Luke chapter 1 and verse 72. And you'll find the third thing about it is this. That is pure grace, which is a means of accomplishment. In verse 71, we read that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Oh, I'm glad that's there. You say, preacher, how come God saved you? Because he enabled me to trust Christ. Are you listening? He saved me because way back yonder in eternity, he wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life and put down the date that I was to be converted. 
And he's done the same thing for you if you're saved here today. Now, how did it come about? Sheer, pure, absolute, irresistible, personal, sovereign grace. You see, no individual wants to be saved if he can help. Every individual run away from the gospel if he can. Just like some of you here today. You're here today because your parents bring you here, and you're here today because you more or less are under their jurisdiction, and you have to come. But if you were allowed your own way, you wouldn't be back here. You'd be out in the world feasting on that junk. You know why? It appeals to the basest nature of the individual. And they thrive on it. But oh, our God's done this. He picked you out of the mass of humanity. He visited you personally. He performed to you the mercy that was set forth and the grace that his covenant called for. And it was pure, free, sovereign grace. And then he doesn't do anything. He does something else. He also not only gives you that, but he find also he gives us a privilege of communion and service that is now granted. Again, verse 74, look at what it says. That he would grant unto us that we be being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and godly and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. All right, are you listening? Before you got saved, if you were like me, I'll tell you right now, you ran from a prayer meeting. I'll never forget when I was in a prayer meeting one night and I said to myself, what in the world am I doing here? I began to sweat. And I couldn't wait for that prayer meeting to get over. I was scared to death they'd call on me to pray. But are you listening? There's a whole different ball game today. I like to pray to you. I like to sit down and talk to the Lord. I like to get with God's people and pray. Well, now how come? The fear of God has been changed. Whereas at one time and before you get saved, the fear of God that you have in your heart is a slavish fear. Now we have a reverential fear. We have a reverential fear of God. We know who He is. We know His majesty and everything like that. And it fills us with a reverential fear. But at the same time, we have a holy boldness that we can come into the presence of the Lord God of heaven at any time, under any circumstance, and with every problem. Now, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Now, if that doesn't put praise in your heart, something wrong, then you're in a backslidden condition. Then why are the corners of the mouths of so many of you here today turning down? You ought to be smiling. Some of you here, you look like you're carrying the weight of the world upon your faces. Are you? Throw it on the Lord God of heaven. He's working all things after the counsel of his will. And he isn't going to let anything happen to you if you're his child unless it first passes the throne of his grace and then it will be for his glory, and you're my good. Now, last of all, we find very clearly the principle of holiness has been planted within us that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then we find also it's the performance of God's eternal covenant. Now, did, did Zacharias knew that? He did. He knew it. He prophesied of that. And you see, Zacharias here was a godly man. And even though the Lord had to punish him because he didn't believe him, yet we find that when the Lord did he do, he used him for his glory and honor. And he gave us here this great prophecy concerning Israel and also the picture of redemption that's set forth before us or the plan of God's redemption. 
that is set forth before us in his, in his song of praise. And I'll tell you this, as Abraham, or I should say Zacharias, understood the Abrahamic covenant, when you and I fully understand, or a little bit, I should say, understand the great covenant that God made on our behalf, I'll tell you right now, it makes you sit back and ask yourself this question, Lord, why me? You can't understand why you. But I'll tell you this, you're down deep in your heart and probably well up in your mouth, you'll say, I'm so glad you have. I don't understand why, but I'm so glad you have. Now let me close. My time's gone. Are you listening? Zachariah was privileged. So are you and I if you know Christ. And those of you that are here today without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're privileged in having the privilege, you're privileged by having the opportunity to hear of God's plan of redemption. Now don't slough it off. Don't become callous to it. Because if you do, I'll tell you right now, you're headed down the road of reprobation. You see, we could have been left deaf and dumb, like a lot of people did. And people are dying all around us. It was a shock to me this past week. But two of, two of Elmont's, uh, if I may say this first, two of Elmont's illustrious citizens are now in eternity. Same week, Helen Myers and Dr. Shaw, they're in eternity. And are you listening? I could never get the first base with either one of them when I tried to talk to them about the Lord. All right, now, why did God single you up? I'll tell you why he brought you here. He's got mercy on you. He's shedding his grace upon you. You better take advantage of it. But all he has to do is leave you alone. And you'll never get converted. But what a privilege it is to know him. And then as we're privileged to rejoice in him today, and I hope you have been, because I have. I've enjoyed preaching this to you. But we are also saved to serve and enjoy the Lord. Now you say, preacher, what more are you talking about? All right, quickly now. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 76 down through verse 79. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our way, our feet, into the way of peace. And we're saved, we're here saved to serve and enjoy the Lord. I hope you enjoy him. A number of years ago, an individual came up to me and he said, you know, you have an infectious manner of preaching. I said, wonderful. Has it done you any good? Well, it's working. I said, good. Then the same night, somebody else came up to me and they said, point blank, they said, you enjoy your faith, don't you? I said, no, I enjoy my Lord. I don't have much faith. I don't go around bragging on my faith. I don't have much faith, but I'll tell you this, I've got a great Lord. And He's proven himself over and over again, hasn't he? All right, but now we're here to serve him. Now, how are we going to serve him? The same way that he raised up John the Baptist in verse 7 of South. I'm going to ask you a question. There were 60-some contacts made this week, and I'm glad to see that. All right, but there's more than 60 people here, so there ought to be more, more than 60 contacts next Sunday. When you go out and talk to somebody this past week, or this next week, I should say, don't you go talk to them about the Lord? I hope all of you will call your representative. might cost you 50 cents, but it would be worth it. But I hope all of you will also 
talk to somebody this week about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can start out this way. Well, did you go to church Sunday morning? Well, what did the preacher preach you about? Oh, about 20 minutes? Well, I got preached to you about 45. You can go home and say that, see? All right, but what did he say? Well, he talked to us about Israel, and he talked to us about salvation. Then you turn right around and say, do you know Christ? Has the Lord saved you? Has the Holy Spirit ever come to you personally? And when you do that, you watch their eyes open up. And you'll see for the vast majority, religious or otherwise, you'll see ignorance written upon their faces. And it'll give you an opportunity to share with them. Well, they'll say, what are you talking about? Well, you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me the Lord never visited you? He visited me. Well, what did he do to you? Well, he came to me one time when I was sitting in the preacher, in, in the church, and the preacher was preaching, and the Holy Spirit of God just began to deal with me, and he showed me what a sinner I was. And you talk to people on that way, and then you give them a knowledge of what Christ is doing. But don't try to lead them on a profession. Just leave them in the God's hand. Because this is what we're to do, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. How? Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, and the day spring is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me close. We're here to give the knowledge of salvation to those that are in darkness, as it brought out in 77 and 79. And then, finally, redemption consists of a personal visit to you from the Lord, resulting in a supernatural work being accomplished within you. John the Baptist was supernaturally born. You and I that are saved have been supernaturally born. It took a visit from God to supernaturally bring about the birth of John the Baptist. It takes a supernatural visit from God to bring about your birth. And oh, how we need to understand that and how we need to tell people about that because anything else is nothing but a trick of Satan. The praise of Zechariah has a great deal in it. I hope we properly from it. Shall we stand? Our Father, this morning, thank you again for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for thy mercy. Thank you again for visiting us. First, Lord, visiting this world in which we live by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to be our sin-bearer and our substitute. How glad we are that he became our sin offering. And then, Lord, we praise you again for visiting us personally, those of us that know you. And how we praise you again that you not only visited us personally, but, Lord, you redeemed us by the remission of our sin. And you gave us a reverential fear and a holy boldness to come and to talk with thee under any circumstances and with any problem. And so, our Lord, again, we pray. Help us to appreciate thee more and to serve thee better. And for these in our midst that don't know you, we ask you, our God, would you not perform that mercy that you did to us and visit them. Oh, speak to their heart even at this hour. And Lord, some of them know intellectually that they're a sinner, but that's only as far as it's gone. Break it down. Go right down to the deepest reset, a sinner before thee. And then bring them down into the valley of repentance, crying out for mercy.
to be bestowed upon them. And Lord, fulfill that cry as it please thee. The glory is thine, the privilege is ours when we hear about it. We ask it now for Christ's sake.